0: Father in heaven, we thank you for a chance to look in your word tonight corporately. Lord, many of us have read our Bibles today and enjoyed time with you in our private life with you. But now, Lord, we're in our corporate life. This is our time where the body comes together and we sing of praises of you and we, uh, we study your word together. We sharpen one another. We keep each other accountable, Lord, through just being here and seeing each other. Lord, there's so many benefits from gathering. And of course, Lord, you told us not to forsake our assembly. And so, Lord, here we are tonight, ready to dig into your word, ready to see the glories and greatness of our Lord God in heaven. So thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for our kids down the hall. We're so grateful for what's going on down there from from our student ministry all the way down to our littlest ones, Lord. And we thank you that they're being taught truth. Thanks for moms and dads that are here. You see the uh, just the importance to uh, let the church come alongside them and help them, Lord, point these children towards Christ. May everything we do and say here and down the hall all be uh, glorifying to you and from the truth of the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been working through this series in the Ten Commandments. I'm on my sixth sermon on our Ten Commandments. So I'm a little better than a commandment per sermon <laughs> if you want to do the math on it, but... Um, I have found this to be a really rich study personally. Um, I hope it has encouraged you as well. Um, again, just in a way of reminding ourselves that you know, the Ten Commandments are, of course, a reflection of God. They're a reflection of his character, of his righteousness. That's, that's what they do. And, and they manifest God's character in such a way that we realize that they're Unchanging. In the law, this these Ten Commandments are unchanging because God is what? Unchanging. So if they reflect the character of God, and he is unchanging, and then these things are unchanging as well. So um, this God that we call our Father in heaven, he wants to be worshipped, and he wants to be worshipped in all ways of life. all All ways of everything, from faithfulness, marriage, to to children, honoring, all of these ways he wants to be worshipped in. Now, he also um, hates that these laws get violated. God really hates sin. He really does. The Bible is very clear on that. And it violates this holy character of it. It's an offense. Sin is an offense against God. And every time I remind myself of that, it brings great conviction into my life. Uh, sometimes we, we brush sin off, don't we? Especially what we call little ones. But they, all sin is an offense against a holy, righteous God. So these laws, they, they reflect the moral character of God. And we, our father's offspring, can we say that? We're his children, so we would be his offspring. We reflect our father's character. That's his goal. He wants us to be. A reflection of him and so the law particularly these ten commandments we've found they're very practical they're, they're very important to our personal lives and they're extremely important to society and as we've seen each one of them going down we see the failures of these in society and we see what we have now today and it's why we've seen society go through this before over and over and over it all ends in war and destruction and death and all that stuff and we're probably headed there if the Lord does not return. Now, we remember we talked about one of the commandments, the Sabbath, that it is the only one that is not quoted verbatim in the New Testament. But that, of course, is because it was truly an Old Testament standard, and that's why the New Testament quotes and highlights all the other nines. But the Sabbath is not repeated in its direct quote. But but we know we know that Hebrews four, and we took time to look at that at hebrews 4 we see that the sabbath was fulfilled in christ completed and so we find that we enter the, to, to be more biblical we enter into god's rest and and that's that is our sabbath now every day we rest in the finished work of Christ. And of course, we gather now on the first day of the week because that's the day our Lord rose from the dead. And so now, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and we entered into God's rest, if you're a believer here, you've entered in that rest, now we have that as a reality in our life and we no longer need the symbol. So, so I am in, resting in my Father's finished work through the Lord Jesus Christ, so I never, no longer need that symbol Every day is a Sabbath for a believer. Now, the other nine commandments are still reflective of God's character and and they should be manifest in a true Christian's life. Our relationship with God should still be one of worship and honor and to one another relationships. And one of the things we love about the commandments is we found not only is it a reflection of God in our relationship with God, but they're a relationship to one another. There's a healthy relationship to one another when we observe what God has commanded us to do, motivate it, of course, of us on on this side of the cross, motivate it by the finished work of Christ. It is so good for our relationships. Faithfulness, truth, (laughs) speaking, speaking right to each other. We're gonna talk about that, false testimonies and so forth. Speaking truth, being faithful. That Remember, we're, we're pulling words out of there that are very applicable to adultery. is the act of unfaithfulness. God wants faithful people. Faithful marriages, faithful congregation of people. And so we realize that this is not only um, just for our relationship with God, it's for our relationship with one another. So if that is true, if that's our relationship with God, and he wants us to worship in 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 those ways he that means he he doesn't care for these other things his holiness his in his holiness killing and stealing and adultery and coveting all of those things again are an offense to him so those commandments still give us an obligation as a believer not and i'm careful with that word i I I want to obey. There's an obligation to obey God, but it's but the motivation is so much greater than an obligation, isn't it? My obligation is that Christ died and rose from the dead and took my sin and freed me forever. And so we have this empowering work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to this point. Now we start working. Um, we started working on the eighth commandment and. And I got close on it, and I just I want to finish that one a little bit. Um, Thou shalt not steal. Remember we talked about the situation that Israel is in and how cramped they probably were, and they're living in tents, and they're next to each other. And so they're this nomadic people, and, and God wanted them in this covenant relationship to trust one another, stealing trust. That would be our word we'd pull out of that. If you steal, you're not trustworthy. So he wanted people to be trustworthy. And when trust was gone, now there becomes suspicion and and lack of unity all of that comes so god gives us commands to to love him with all our heart our soul our mind he gave the nation first and then jesus quoted it as the greatest command then he said to love your neighbor as yourself right so stealing would be an offense to god and it would break the unity between his people if you don't trust people in the church that's a bad problem isn't it <laughs> Of all places, we should be trustworthy. It was interesting. My son, my youngest son, was watching it when I was teaching on this. So I get this text in my office afterwards. He goes, Dad, I get the whole trustworthy thing, but quit leaving your keys and your wallet on the seat. <laughs> and good son reminded me. It's probably not the best idea. And then tell it on the World Wide Web. Uh, this is what we have sons for to help us remind us of that. Now, we realize that, that this is a result when, when theft comes in our hearts, it's idolatry for something, right? There's a love for something, a love for stuff, and it's a heart condition, and it's not loving God. So, so we begin, and it's, we're gonna get into this coveting type thing, but it flushes itself out in lots of ways, and theft is one of them. So to steal is to take, take, unauthorized stuff that god entrusted to somebody else he he gave god owns all things he has all things he gave somebody that stuff that belongs to them they're the keeper they're the manager the steward of that stuff and so you rejected god when you went into god's stuff and took it from somebody else and so it's 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 really a huge offense against god And remember we talked about the word stealing in the Hebrew was deception and it has the word stealth, the idea of stealth in it because people don't steal blatantly. They they do it undercover and sneakily, right? So when theft is prevalent or unpunished, the life of the community is disturbed. And I think our nation is very disturbed right now. Very disturbed. You cannot let mayhem take place lawlessness and let people just break into somebody's family business or, or maybe a brand new business they start and just turn the other eye in it our country will suffer greatly for that you know, and certainly the people that happen to so the community life is undisturbed. so here in this community and you have to go back because we, we think historically first and then we make application forward they're all there camped around the mountain of God they're at Sinai They're gonna move together. Unfortunately, they're not gonna go into the promised land like they should have. They're gonna spend forty years walking around. (laughs) And and if they cannot be trusted trusting one another, the community is gonna have a lot of problems. And so God knows that. So He wants He wants community. And we remember we talked about the end, we said there's lots of ways to steal. There's fraud, embezzlement, um, there's extortion, there's a waste of time. Uh, working for an employer or not putting uh, your best foot forward, um, stealing purity uh, from somebody, um, stealing people. <laughs> and that happens today as well. And so we looked at Exodus to kind of close out and there was a great, there's some great stuff in Exodus 22 and you know, taking your neighbor's donkey and all that kind of stuff, how God deals with that. But I want to look at the New Testament to close this command out right now because Christ always includes the term stealing when he gives a list, a, at least even a partial list of the Ten Commandments. Uh, I don't have time to take you all the passages, but there's many times when he's talking to the Pharisees or he's talking to a rich young ruler or he's talking to somebody and he says, you remember the commandments of the old or of or, uh, uh, what the angel used to say. He'll say phrases like that and he'll list several of them. He won't list all ten, but he'll list seven. And you know what? He, always he puts in there is stealing he always adds that in part i looked at every one of the times he's he mentioned the ten commandments and every one of the times he mentioned stealing in it and then the apostle paul not only uh condemns stealing but then he gives the the change of heart that takes place with a when a thief comes to christ look at look at with me there in ephesians chapter four look turn turn with me i want you to look at this together ephesians chapter four Because these New Testament principles um, really apply to us in even a more applicable way because they're tied to the gospel. They're tied to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here he's not only going to condemn this sin of stealing, but he's going to show the complete reversal of one who experiences the life-changing work of the gospel. And I think you know this verse. You you know where I'm headed, most of you. It says, he who steals... um, Ephesians four twenty eight. He who steals, steal no longer. And then there's a semicolon there because in the original language it's, it's a statement right there. If you're a thief, stop it. <laughs> the Bible speaks loud, doesn't it? You have to understand. There's times the Bible speaks loud. There's there's um, great strong verbs or uh, they're imperatives, right? They, stop stealing. <laughs> you're stealing from God. That's, so, he's, so, it's a strong statement. It's, it's one of the commands, right? Paul knew those commands. And then he says, but rather, he must labor, work. Work's good. People don't want to work. A lot of people don't want this virus to get done because they don't want to go back to work. Why do I want to go? They're paying me so much money on unemployment. Why do I want to go back? I've talked to many of you guys trying to get your employers back. Well, I'll be coming back. They're paying me this money man doesn't want to work. We've been working since the fall, and there was work before the fall. Work is part of what God has brought. Got a lot difficult after the fall, but God, God wants us to work as long as we're able. There's a time He set apart for uh, retirement from a daily grind of it, but there's still, you can talk to all the retired people, you're probably pretty busy, right? There's certain things you're doing. We are to work. And so what, an, what a difference. Um, and just think of it. Society could just get their mind around it. Stop stealing and get a job. <laughs> what would society be like? <laughs> Instead of just taking somebody else's stuff and justifying it because of their wealth or their ethnic diversity or whatever it may be. Well, I love that statement. Stop stealing, get a job. And then he says this. Perform with your own hands what is good. What is the opposite of that? Well, you used your hands to do something that was evil. Stop using the hands I put on your body for stupid stuff. He's just really coming at him, doesn't he? Why is he talking about this? Because there's thieves in the church in Ephesus. There's thieves everywhere. There's thieves hiding among Christianity. You know, we don't run security out here for, because we just think it's I mean, you know, a job for some of our guys. Because we know that people take advantage of people in church. And so we keep security here and we keep people watching your vehicles out there. Um, because it's a bad thing But he says look Quit using this for evil Use it for good you, God give you hands Use them for good and Then it says this So that he will have something To share with one Who is in need Men does he bring that full circle You've been taking all this stuff God's now transformed your life You know the Lord Jesus Christ Is your savior He's, he's now Lord of your life Instead of doing evil With your hands Do good and go Meet somebody's need Use those hands To bless somebody I think we have a ministry called Hands of Grace here, don't we? Our older ladies, and they do a lot of wonderful little things. They they knit and put food baskets and do different things. I mean, what a great thing. That's our retired ladies. What are we doing good? Hey, look, counseling with somebody who's had a stealing problem isn't very hard. This is the verse. (laughs) And I've had them through my office. We memorize this verse, and we put it at work. Don't steal. Don't use your hands for wickedness. See, this is the effect of Christ He changes people 180 degrees. And I I love, I love, just just don't get so lost in stealing here, but just grab the understanding that when somebody gets Christ, they, they absolutely change direction, don't they? Hellbound people start heading towards heaven. Thieves start giving. Unfaithful people start being faithful, right? Liars start speaking the truth. That's what Christ does. That's what his work in our life does. That's the work of the Spirit of God. There's a complete reversal that comes with Christ. A couple of references just to jot down. Let me read these to you, and then we'll move on to the ninth command. But 1 Peter chapter four, verse 14 through 16, he says, if you are, uh, if, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, he's talking about suffering unjustly in this text. This is 1 Peter four fourteen through 16. And you are blessed... You're blessed if, you, if you're reviled for the name of Christ. You know, there's some in here who have gone through that. Just talking to somebody today who, who just a group of people on the job just torture him because he's a believer. And, and they mock him and call him weak and call all those names. And I remind him, hey, you're blessed. Read this verse to him Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Stand up for Jesus. It will cost me my job. Well, let's see. If the spirit of the glory and God rest on you, I think your last thing you gotta think about is a job. <laughs> That's the hand of God putting his hands on you to bless you because you stood for him. Oh man, what a, what a delight to do that. But then the verse goes on. Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief. Remember, he's writing to the church. <laughs> as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer. Now, let me stop right there before we get to the main point here. Remember, when you're in a church that's being persecuted, remember, when we get to First Peter, the church is scattered abroad, right? To the church that's scattered and it starts to list all these names of these places where, where the church is on. Why is it scattering? Because they're killing them. So, some of us men who, you know, think we want to protect our families may take that into our own hands. They were called zealots, right? We talked about that recently with Barabbas and Peter. And so he's reminding that's not our job to murder people, so never be found as a murderer. Don't, be, don't, don't suffer as a murderer or a thief. It's never right to steal something that doesn't belong to you. It's never right. Or an evildoer, and then he throws in this one, or a trouble, troublesome meddler, What's that? Well, the idea is somebody sticks their nose into something that they don't belong it in. That's the idea of it. Isn't that interesting? He throws that in with all the big ones, like murder, you know, theft, all that. Quit sticking your nose in where it doesn't belong. Don't be a gossip. Don't be a slander. If, you're gonna, if you want to get involved with somebody who's going through something difficult the way you do, you come pray for them, not talk about them. Not, not have a conversation about, oh, well, you did hear what they did that just hurts the church and so he says don't be a meddler and he throws all this in um and and in the middle of this is thief and murderer but he says but if anyone suffers as a christian he is not to be ashamed but it is to the glory of god in his name here and then one more uh revelations chapter nine right at the end of the text we're at the end of the trumpet judgments so we got bulls and seals and trumpets and the judgments are being dumped on the earth, and right at the end of the text it says this. And I want you to just listen. To this: the rest of mankind—that's all who didn't die from all these plagues—who who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of our hands, so as to worship—not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can never see, hear, nor walk. I love that explanation. And then it says this, and they did not repent from their murders, from their sorceries, from their immoralities, and from their theft. Wow. He throws all that in. You know, and and we can look at society today and go, all that's happening. And and, and yet, the Bible says it's going to get worse as God starts to pour his judgments out. And in times on the earth, you're going to see these things, and they won't repent of it. They won't repent of it. And we're starting to see that where immorality is not hidden anymore. There's no repentance. There's no hiding, even hiding of it. Um, and, and now we have theft and breaking in and doing things. It is just on the news and people are watching it. And so we kind of see where this is going, don't we? Let, let me just wind up this don't steal because we spent a lot of time on it last week as well. Is ultimately stealing is a rejection of God's authority. I You've got to walk out with that one. You've got to go, Stealing is a rejection of God. God gave that to, some, that, whatever that is, he gave that to that person to, to handle it, um, be a steward of it, manage it, and you took it from him. And it's a great offense against God. So what a, what a marvelous um, command that's so important today. And when you see this, remember, when I, I've been trying to give you key words to kind of think through this. Thou shalt not steal. So what's the word we want? trust. Are you trustworthy? Are you trustworthy? Are you a trustworthy person that God can entrust a spouse to, a children to? Are you trustworthy with the things God gives you, or do we steal from God? Let's go to the ninth command, verse 16, back in Exodus chapter 20. As you flip back that way. This one is a fascinating one as well and has a lot of, of the health of society but the health of relationships in it as well. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Verse 16 in Exodus chapter 20 verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So this command for Israel and for the church as well because we're going to see it's repeated in the New Testament in many ways. It helps direct the affairs of people. And and so that they can live in this orderly society. So God forbids deceitfulness in connection with evidence in a judicial process, right? And that's the first form of context we want to look at. There's a, judicious, there's a judicious process going on here, and God does not want that affected. He knows that man is going to have problems, his people are going to have problems, so he set up a judicial system for them to manage and he wants that protected. So it is the witness or the testimony of the person in a case of a law who provides evidence against the case, right? You, you, even the law said they can't be judged unless there's two or three witnesses to say he did this. So that evidence is very important. So God's standard, he sets up a divine standard of how to deal with situation. Judges could carry out everything. They could bring the the convicted person in they could bring the witnesses in but if the witnesses lie if the witnesses don't tell the truth the whole thing falls apart you have disorder you have deception and so forth and and practically God knew that his people needed to trust one another as they entered the land and fought battles and lived in close proximity they're going to have to trust each other, and there's going to be problems between them. There's going to be testimonies that are going to come up. They're going to have issues with each other. They're sinners. They're all camped in. Millions of people camp together here, um, and they're going to have problems. And so to disregard the need for truth would break down society. You now, folks, it isn't hard to see what has been going on in some even our highest levels of court in this country. It's so hard to get to who's telling the truth or not. In fact, they make statements, particularly people make statements that we feel it's okay to lie for the greater good. So now your judicial system falls on its face, if that's the case. And so God knows that. See, this command ultimately focuses in on truth and the need for truth to move the nation forward, to, to give justice, right? Right? So in Leviticus 19.16, he says, you shall not go about as slanderers among your people. So think about lies and slanderous speech. It crushes unity. And it just hurts the nation so bad. And God knew that. But the same is true within the church. I've seen too many situations through the years where somebody was slandered in the church or at least gossiped about Uh, The facts were not checked. They did not include pastors to work through an issue. And pretty soon there's a huge division in the church and a group of people leaves. Only to find out later that it wasn't true. And people are broken and hurt. See, God does not want slanderous gossip malice in the church, in his people. Exodus chapter 23, verse one, if you just look over, he says, if you shall not bear a false report Do not join your hands with a wicked man to be a malice witness. You know, I don't know what happened with all the Russian collusions and all those things that happened, but somebody's lying. (laughs) I mean, somebody is really made up a whopper. And there's a bunch of other people who have joined in with it one way or another. It isn't hard to kind of look at it. Somebody's lying in this. God watches all this stuff. And listen, brothers and sisters, it has no place in the church. Now, but also notice that the sin of not speaking up about the truth is the same. Leviticus 5 verse 1 tells us that in part of the law there it says, if there's somebody, a witness who has seen something and doesn't come forward with the truth, they are to bear the guilt of the one who is convicted. Now, how many times have we seen on the news where there's a dead body laying in the streets and the cops say, well, nobody will talk? That happens all the time. And one, they're they're afraid because um, lawlessness is running the neighborhood. So they're afraid they're going to get killed or somebody if they say something. And nobody's brave enough. And it's usually some older woman who comes forward who said, well, I live my life. If they want to kill me, they can. And comes and speaks the truth. The Bible says if you don't tell the truth when something's taking place, you bear the guilt of those who deserve it. So it isn't tattletaling, you know. We don't want to create that person who's trying to do it to bring about their own goodness. But if you see something happen, stay. I mean, simple things. You see an accident, stay. You know why? Because the person got drilled. Needs you to say, "Hey, he was just driving." This person came red to run the red light. I mean, it's just little things that break down to that. We must be careful with our speech. See, truthfulness in our speech is taught throughout the New Testament. Look at Jesus, Matthew chapter five. Look at this passage. Matthew five. This is on the Sermon on the Mount. Right, right in the heart of reflecting the character of God so much. The character of God is really reflected within the Sermon on the Mount. Look at verse 33. Matthew chapter five, verse 33. Here's one of those Times where Jesus speaks of some of the commandments, he says, uh, "Again, you have heard the ancients uh, that the ancients were told. This is the Old Testament law, right here. You shall not make false you not might make false vows. You shall not fulfill your vow to the Lord. You sh- but you shall fulfill your vow to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven or by the throne of God or by the earth, for it is the footstool of His feet, or by Jerusalem." Or it is the city of the great king. Now, I'll stop right there. One of the Pharisees, remember we talked about this a little bit, but the Pharisees, and this is what Peter did, is they swore by God, or they, they, they swore, and there's a, there's a list of things that they would do by heaven or by earth, or they even swore because Jerusalem was the holy city, it was the greatest city of all, they would even swear by Jerusalem. And so, God, God, Christ here is telling you, you don't make a vow on these things. And I love that little phrase in verse 35 For it is the footstool of his feet Well we know in Psalms 110 That Jesus He, tell, he makes the world his enemies The footstool um, of him He sits at the right hand of the father So then he goes on to say this in verse 30, 36 Nor shall you make an oath by your head For you cannot make one hair white or black It's like you're, you're not in control of any of these things That you're making this oath by Then he makes this statement but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is evil. Meaning, if you're deceptive of way you answer somebody, that's evil. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Now, I remember counseling a couple years and years ago, and uh, I was working with um, them. <laughs> they were having a long struggle. There's not anybody here. And one of the things she said well um she he he always i go would you speak the truth to each other and she goes he speaks the truth it's brutal truth (laughs) so there's one thing men we can do this sometimes we can be very brutal with the truth it maybe what we're saying is right but we've said it so poorly it becomes evil so what does paul said speak the truth in love but here, it's the idea of let your yes be yes. Do, you know, don't bear false witness. What is true, say it's true. You know, and speak the truth is costly. And it's going to get more costly as time goes on. And this is such a great lesson for us. Um, remember in Acts chapter 5, when, when you find Ananias and Sapphira, they've lied to the Holy Spirit, right? And they've kept back. And the Word of God actually says, why have you lied to God? And I thought about that, you know, talk about bearing false witness for someone, but if you bear false witness to God, you you tell God you're going to do one thing, but you do another thing, and you really lied what you're going to do, he doesn't care for that. And of course, we know what happened to those two. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, just go over a few books here in the middle of the New Testament, because Paul wants to take this on as well. See, these commands are all flushed out in the New Testament, but they're all bathed um, in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel is now motivating a change in our lives. Hebrews chapter four, verse twenty. He's been talking about just darkness. We used to be in darkness. We were our hearts were hardened. We had cal- we, had, we were like callous things. We, if you think about a callus on your on your elbow, on your hands, it just there's no nerves in there. Just that you don't feel anything, right? You're unfeeling. Um, he. He talks about just sensuality. They've been just given over to sensuality and so much impurity and greediness and so forth. And then verse 20, he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. There's a complete difference between us and this callous, godless, Christ-rejecting person, right? In verse 21, if indeed you have heard him, so if it's true and you have heard him and been taught by him just as truth is in Jesus, Now, I love that statement. I mean, really, to really say you know the truth, you have to be in Christ. Because even though the greatest judge and the most honest judge that sits on a bench somewhere, he can run out in truth if he doesn't know Jesus. Because ultimately, the final fulfillment of all truth is in Jesus Christ. Remember Pilate, when he's judging Jesus, not John 19, we, we look back at it and he was kind of saying, don't you know I, I have power to, to end your life and Jesus of course says, you don't have any power. The only thing that you have is what's been given to you. Um, and then he starts speaking about truth. He says this is the truth. Remember Pilate goes, well, what is truth? Like, see, the world doesn't believe you can come to absolute truth. They do not believe in absolute truth. But we do because we're in Christ. In Christ we have absolute truth. Now, Notice what it does here, verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which was being ongoing, corrupted, in accordance with the lust of deceit. So deceit, lying, bearing false witness, in that you renew, be renewed in the mind, of, in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, that has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So here's, again, the, the exact opposite. He's showing us that before Christ, before Jesus in our life, we're just calloused and hardened, and, and he uses the word deceit. We're deceitful. Our minds are bent towards self and, and lying and whatever it takes to get ahead. But in Christ, that's not true. In fact, he uses this, this term, in the likeness of God has been created. Well, of course, that's 2 Corinthians 5, what, 17. Is that right uh, in Christ, we're new creatures in Christ Right, so we have this new creature and what comes out of us is we're now righteous and holy there's our possession in truth or of truth we're righteous and holy standing in truth now well it's such an important, important thing and, and, and look the battlefield that Satan often works is is in the mind because you may stand there in a conversation and have the opportunity to say what am I, how am I going to answer this and and your flesh and of course Satan would love for you to lie and be deceitful and, and maybe give a different picture than what's really true, but the spirit of God speaks truth. And so uh, when you come down to truth, uh, uh, some you know sometimes people struggle with this. They they just they don't tell the truth. They lie a lot, and so they'll come in and we work through these things. So we start to say, well, what. How would you describe your thought life? We would start there, right? We're trying to get inside. What's, what's your thought life like? Well, to be honest, I think about myself a lot. I want to do this and I want to do that and I, I want to gain this. and I, I want. Okay, so there's a problem there, right? We're consumed with self and so you start to analyze those things and, and how, how pure and true are the things you let your mind dwell on is a question I would ask. So, so let's go back your day and think about what, you dwell, what your mind dwelled on. Maybe you dwelled on politics all day because you're afraid of what's going to happen and you were just consumed with that and you watched too much Fox News or something. And every little update bings on your phone and oh no, the polls. And you're just, you know. And your Bible saying, nobody gets in office outside of me, but Fox News seems to be stronger to you. You know, what, where is your mind at? See, if you want to speak truth, it has to dwell on things of truth. So this comes back to what are our spiritual disciplines? What are we practicing? What's keeping our mind pure, focused on truth? Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. How, what did we dwell on today? What did you dwell on today? And, and I promise, whatever you dwelled on today is how you're going to act tomorrow. That's what happens. And you dwell on it long enough. If you dwell about being unfaithful to, some, to, to your spouse, guess what you're going to do? You're going to be unfaithful to your spouse. It just comes. And so the Bible teaches us not to dwell on those things. And then finally, this, to end this, go to James chapter 3. What happens is it eventually comes out of our mouth. Whatever's in the heart comes out the mouth. And this is why it gets hurtful at times with our relationships because the Bible says that out of the wellspring of life, out of the wellspring of our heart comes the issues of life, right? And Jesus, Jesus himself said that the deceit and lies come out of the heart. Look at this. Uh, I, uh, this is just a good verses that I go back often from my own tongue to make sure that we rein these things in. Look at James chapter three, verse eight, and then following. Verse eight starts with a conjunction, but he's been talking about all these things that can't be tamed. Um, but he says, but, no, but no, one, no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth both blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out the same op- from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousies and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Now let me stop right there. You say, well, why does this stuff come out of me? Because there's a selfish, a bitter, jealous ambition that lies in your heart and you 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 deny it. And so he says, the Bible says you're arrogant because you're denying what's really in your heart, and in the end you lie against the truth. And that's just not the truth of the scriptures. It's lying against the truth with your spouse or or some other person. Verse 15 This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is net na- earthly, natural, and demonic. Man, that is scary. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambitions, the Bible says, is earthly, natural, and demonic. And it's against the truth. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. So it's all started with a a command, don't bear false witness. And and look what comes out of it. Every disorder and every evil thing. God is a God of truth. And when we don't speak the truth in our lives, live truth in our lives, what happens is disorder. And we suffer greatly and children suffer and generational sin continues to happen. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is pure. So now there's this great contrast to the world's wisdom and what it led, it led them into just evil and disorder and destruction all that's going on in our world even today. But the wisdom from above is pure. Well, that's what we're after. Then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. That's what we're after, right? And the seed whose fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is a whole difference of those of us that say, when we say as Christians, wait a minute, I want my yes to be yes, I want my no to be no, I want to speak the truth in love, be a loving, kind person. And sometimes you have to say hard things to, to people, hard things to hard people because people are hard sometimes. It's, it's not easy to do, but it's said in love. I love you, friend. I, I'm coming to you. This is not easy to do. I've had men do that through me through the years. Scott, I need to sit and talk with you. Something got out of my mouth that I didn't take captive and it hurt somebody and they lovingly come and and rebuke you and exhort you to turn from that and what good things that is. That should happen in our homes all the time. But listen, as a church, truth is paramount to us if we lose truth and we can't speak truth to each other we're done and that's why God gave us the Bible and so if you come in and you have a problem with somebody and you're going through an issue we got to look here because this is what's going to set us free, this is the truth this is the standard we live our lives by otherwise we're going to be in disorder and every evil thing is going to come out of our own homes we want the fruit of righteousness that sows peace all right Let's go to the 10th and final one. Do I have enough time? Yeah, i got a little bit of time. Well, let's try to jump on this. Um, of course, now we get to probably our, we may have to come back to this, but um, probably to one of the most difficult commands. Verse 17 uh, of Exodus 20. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant. Could be the lawn care company. Or his Ox, that's his tractor or his donkey pickup truck or anything that belongs to his neighbor kind of moving things into today's life don't I and and you you kind of can laugh at that and I snickered out as I was studying this I thought wow this is really ranchy Um, but this was life right this was life in, in front of Mount Sinai you know maybe you didn't have time when you left Egypt to grab all your oxen and you didn't have it and somebody else did and 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 lots of different things were happening here and and but here he he comes to a very difficult command and and so you think about where where the ninth command exposes the need for truthfulness for this society truthfulness in the courtroom truthfulness in personal relationships certainly truthfulness in this covenant community the 10th command now turns inwardly <laughs> And that's why this one is hard, because it's exposing the inner loyalties of the heart or unloyalties of the heart. So, of course, covet is a key word in this command. um, Chamad, I think, is the Hebrew word there. And it means, um, in a negative way, to overtly be attracted to something. in, In a negative way. It, it, it has the idea of an excess delight in something, way beyond what you would should be delighting in something. It, it treasures something. It treasures something so much that it becomes idolistic. It's to make something your desire. In other words, to covet describes a consuming desire to possess something in a wrong way that belongs to somebody else. I mean, that's just going to cover everything. It's going to cover everything from your neighbor's car to his wife to somebody who maybe you think would treat you better, to whatever, whatever else. So, there's, so this, is a, this is a tough command to start to wrestle with. See, this, this is a desire that stimulates. It stimulates a, a wickedness within us. And it may even perceive something beautiful that God made and, and something that's really neat and, and that God has given us to, to enjoy here. In and of itself, it could be something that's not evil, but something God made, but it turns it into evil because of the, the wickedness of our hearts. Now, what makes this command difficult is, is that it unveils a hidden and, and a forbidden feeling. This is deep, isn't it? This? this is hard. This gets in the kitchen. See, this command goes right in there. It, it, it's dealing with your feelings in a lot of ways. Now, certainly those feelings are tied to the heart. It's going to unveil this blackness that gets into our hearts But it's going to show that there's these wrong desires. It's going to originate in the heart. And and it's going to show there's wrong desires. And a wrong desire to, to possess something that doesn't belong to you. Now, I believe God put this as the last of the commandments. Because it's the root of all the failing of the others. You know, you can work right through it. You steal because you covet it. You're unfaithful because you covet it. I mean, you just work your way right through this. You, you bore false witness because you coveted somebody to think better of you or you didn't want to be shot or you wanted somebody to like you or whatever the reason you lied about. You desired a ter- certain type of feeling to have. And so there should be an attitude of, of contentment with what the Lord has given to his people. He wants them. They're sitting before Sinai. He's promised them the land of milk and honey. He's promised them all these things. They're gonna come in there and he wants them to be content. But instead, discontentment leads to coveting. And listen, brothers and sisters, the moment you are not satisfied with what God has given you, you will start to covet something else. And, you know, going... It just goes so far. I mean, it can go go literally, as the Bible says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you can just see how this reaches into the depths. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and I've referred to this text before, Moses, just before they go into the, the promised land, he's giving these great sermons and he, and he actually brings up the Ten Commandments again in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But in this one, he says it a little different. He says, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. It's very personal. He wants them to understand, you hurt the community. This is your neighbor. This is your neighbor's wife. This is your neighbor's stuff. This is stuff that I've entrusted with them. And this is coming out of your heart. So Moses is giving further details to the sin of covenant. And listen, there's, this nation's about ready to walk in. When you get into Deuteronomy passage, the 40 years is over now, and they're about ready to go in. Um, this is a nation that's about ready to walk into uh, a land that is just wide open for them. L- listen to Deuteronomy chapter six, the next passage. Just listen to this. This comes on the heels of that, you know, you should write this truth on your, your foreheads and on the doors of your, of your mantles and so forth like that. Then he says this, verse 10, Deuteronomy six ten. He says, then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into a land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build. Houses full of all the things which you did not fill. Hewn cisterns that you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. And you will eat and and will be satisfied. Then watch yourself. (laughs) That you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Um, Joshua in his last great... Sermon that he gives before him and the elders die. Remember that one, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, Joshua 24. He says almost the exact same thing. God's, you're getting, he's going to give you homes and ranches and farms and, and all these vineyards and all this stuff. You didn't do anything for him. He's going to give it to you. Be satisfied with it, be content. And it wouldn't be hard to think about what was going to happen. They were going to move in and they were going to look at, well, somebody got there first. Remember the great land grabs? You ever read on the land grabs in the United States? You know, they'd have thousands of people lined up. They'd shoot a gun off and people just go tearing after them. They'd murder people, run other people over, pull their flags out and put new flags in it. It's fun to read. Uh, You know, that's the area I wanted to live in. Um, But um, it's, it's really kind of fun to read the history. But you just see the wickedness of man through all those things. Not content with it. You covet something else. But again, the command goes so much farther than the physical. It goes to the heart. So coveting... It motivates many sins it motivates all sins in a real sense because the heart it gets corrupted and then there becomes this lack of satisfaction with what God has given you now this is why we gotta, we gotta be conscious of our hearts it, brothers and sisters Is why we put ourselves under preaching it's why we put ourselves under the word of God on a regular basis it's why we pray it's why we pray prayers that David prayed Lord search me Know me, see if there's any wicked way within me. I know what I'm capable, Lord. I, I know what this heart can do. I mean, that's the kind of prayers that, that, that we should be praying as the as family of God. We of all people know ourselves. There's nobody in this room that knows you more than God than you. You know you. And, and if you don't deal with your heart, you'll, you, then you actually kind of lose sight of yourself and you're all worried about your spouse or somebody else. And then marriages begin to go south and difficult things happen. But look, Jesus knew, he knew the heart of man, and he, he has to deal with it all the time. They're walking through a field. Um, the disciples grab some grain, they put the grain in their hands, and they, they rub them together and take the, uh, you know, the flack off of it and grab the seeds, and they're eating. And of course, the Pharisees see this, and they just go ballistic. And say, why don't your, why don't your, why don't your uh, disciples keep the traditions? They, 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 they taught the traditions about, like they were the law. And so Jesus comes back and says, that which proceeds out of man, that is what defiles a man. Because <laughs> they're saying, they're eating this uh, on the Sabbath, they're walking and they're eating this, and, and this is all wrong, they shouldn't be doing this. And they didn't wash their hands on top of that. And so Jesus says, Look, what comes out of a man is what defiles him. What comes out of his heart and out of his mouth and out of his tongue, that's the defiling. He says, for this, for from within, out of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, there's it again, murders, adulteries, and then he says this. This is Mark seven twenty-two, Deeds of coveting. I never saw that before till today when I was putting some cross-references in here. I knew he talked about the heart of man, that this thing comes out of there, and I knew there was murder and there was lying and there was a few other things in there. I did not catch that coveting. And, and they could not respond to this because he's, he's dealing internally now. Because they could say, I haven't murdered anybody. I've not committed adultery. I've not done fornication. We just certainly don't steal anything. And then he goes to deeds of coveting. And they go, oop, we're in trouble. He adds Wickedness as well as deceit, sinfulness, envy, slander. This is all part of that coveting type of things that come from that, pride, foolishness. He says, all these things proceed from within and defile a man. And so he's showing us that this last command just brings out all the things you think you've done Those have been all outward because the heart will expose. They were merely outward, inwardly. You did want to be unfaithful. Inwardly, you wanted to steal. Inwardly, you wanted to lie your head off to get yourself out of that trouble. And Jesus has has a way of coming right to the heart. Now, Apostle Paul deals with this as well. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. A couple more references will be done. So I want to to make sure you see the New Testament aspect of this. Ephesians chapter 5. It's interesting how times we keep going back to Ephesians. This was Paul's church that he sent Timothy to. And they had their share of problems. So there's no church free of sin. Ephesians chapter five, verse one, love these verses, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. You're my offspring, act like me. Verse two, walk in love just as Christ has loved you and gave himself for a substitutionary death. Walk like Christ. He offered his life as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, so our lives can be a, a fragment of aroma well pleasing to God. Then he says, but verse three, three but in immorality and any impurities or greed must not be even named among you as is improper for the saints, this stuff should not be a part of our church. This should not be. This should not be spoken of of Christians that they're living in immorality. And yet, yet the the reports that are coming out, Legionaire just put out their state of theology report that they put out every two years. And and the questions when it gets down to, is it okay about this and that? And do you believe the Bible is true? I mean, we're moving into the fifty percentile of people who say, oh yeah, that's not a problem. And more and more people, when they are tracked on immorality and homosexuality and all of that, Christ, quote, quote, Christians are saying, well, it's not a sin. That's not what God's talking about. And so, I just don't know how you get around these verses here. But but he goes on. There, there must Verse four. There must be no filthiness, silly talk, or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Now, I've, I've, I've worked through this verse with men's ministries many times because... Um, filthy talk and silly talk and coarse jesting is, it could just be godless stuff. Now, it doesn't, I, I had some guys, well, it doesn't sound like a very fun to be a Christian. Well, yeah, and been around the Christians I've been around. We laugh and have a great time all the time, and we don't have to be filthy, we don't have to be stupid and silly, and we don't have to be coarse to have a good time. Because our hearts have been changed, and so what flows out of the heart is either this filthiness or. Um, enjoying your brother and having a fun, having a fun time with him. And, and that all comes from a heart of thanksgiving, notice that. But look at verse five is what I'm after. For this you will know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So here, Apostle Paul identifies coveting with idolatry. Now, now that is that's the that's the top, right there. Now you've you've broken the first commands. You, you, your coveting has led to idolatry, and idolatry has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. If you're an idolater, you can't be in the kingdom of God. You're either a forgiven idolater, all of us you know, that are believers, we're forgiven idolaters. We 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 worshiped everything but God before we're saved. Um, or you're still an adulterer and you're not an uh, idolater and you won't go to heaven. See, it has to be forgiven like every other sin but, but the connection here and this is, this is where it gets a little raw that if we covet, God says it's idolatry. It's like bowing down to idols because you're bowing down to things that you desire more than you're desiring God. And you say, Scott, I I, I can see this in my life. Because I'm studying this. I go, I can see this in my life. Well, how do you get over it? You study God's word. You believe the Bible. You train your mind. You go, God, don't let me fall into the corruption of the world. Don't let me be conformed to this present world. But let me renew my mind daily. So my heart will now follow you. See, it's so easy to fall into idolatry. I think man i think christians we we go well it's not us you know the nation of israel once they got back from babylon never bowed down to idols again they just never did you can study it they never bowed down to idols again they got back um and then doesn't it's pretty quickly the last uh the last of the prophets come last one being malachi then god goes silent for 400 years pick them up in the new testament there's man they never bow down to an idol again and yet, Jesus constantly brought, brings up idolatry in their life. Because what was replaced with these wooden or gold figures or whatever they were bowing down to, the Baals and Astroths and so forth, was now desires of their heart power, money, prestige, having something, gaining something in some way. And so that's us today as Christians. We can let things into our life. And, and I think when you read this text and many more i'm going to run out of time here i have a bunch of list more here when we begin to realize this that 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 idolatry is real within the church that probably all of us struggle with it at times where we desire to be loved right and we desire to be loved so much right that that becomes an idol to us and that's very unfortunate and, and, and it isn't that you don't deserve to be loved right, but it can become an idol to us. And, and, or you're just not satisfied. I mean, just go to the simple things of not satisfied with the home I have or the income I have or whatever it may be. And now that just slowly builds a new idol in our life. And just think about the advertisement of today. Advertisement uses idolatry as their main purpose right there are no fat people selling clothes I was looking at a golf advertisement the other day and I looked at these golf guys and they're 24 they're about as fit as can be I can never get in that <laughs> and, and, and then pretty soon you want to be like that and the more you study that and the more you hear advertisements, the more and pretty soon you regain this desire and desire and desire, and pretty soon you become a health nut and you you're mean to everybody and you have you you got a diet that you know if you're not on it, you're not a Christian, and you know, I mean all kinds of things goes down because we're so now our bodies have become this idol. Now, we need to take care of it, you know, there's there's a stewardship here as well, but we can see where this goes, doesn't it? And it gets really real. Real quickly, one more passage, Colossians chapter um, three. I gotta quit, I'm over, I'm over time. But I did want to get down with the Ten Commandments today. Um, chapter three, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, you know, if you've been raised up with Christ, if you're, if you're saved, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. See, sit at the, right, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. That's the problem, right? We don't think of what's pure, right, holy, we're thinking of other things. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Brothers and sisters, our mind gets on this earth too long. It's bad. You know where it goes. And so he reminds us: look, we're with Christ. We have a position in Christ. Where he's at, that's where we, our mind should be. For you have died and your life is hidden with, with Christ in God. I love that phrase. Verse four, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. There's a great hope. Quit holding on to things down here that you're not taking with you. Verse five, great mortification of sin here. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So, so greed drives idolatry. Idolatry results, is resulted from coveting and so, idolatry comes at the end of the list because the sins are intimate, right? If you look at this list of sins, in my mind, I, I, I went somewhere in an immoral way. I stepped into impurities and passions and evil desires that were not for my marriage, um, for my relationship with God, for myself as a Christian. I, I stepped into those things. The result was greed. I wasn't satisfied with what I had. I want more, or I want something else. And that ends up in idolatry, and it all comes from coveting. And God's warning is people do not covet, it'll destroy you, and it'll destroy those around you. And so, we as church members, people who love the Lord, are, are still struggling with these things. There's so much more to be said, and I'm I'm just out of time but one of the things I said in my note I said this is the silent killer of your testimony it's a silent killer it's a sniper and he's in your heart and we gotta deal with it brothers and sisters let me ask you a couple questions I'll end where are you not satisfied with what God has given you it's, it's, it's a private question but it's an answer you gotta tell God someday And I think tonight's a good night. I am not satisfied, God, because you took my spouse home. I'm not satisfied because she doesn't love me or he doesn't love me or whatever it may be. I mean, there's something in there that's stopping you from growing in many cases. And this is what biblical counseling is about. It helps you root down. It helps you tear away where you've encased this sin and this lie and you've encased it and justified it in some way and it starts, the Bible starts pulling away those sheaths, those shields that you've made around your hard heart and, and it gets down there and it starts to expose it. That's why we preach God's word and most count, a lot of counseling is happening right now. I, somebody said, you're, man, you're counseling the whole church through this series. Well, that's what the Bible does. But if you have an issue that you've not been able to come, do not, do not, tr- just sit there and think it'll go away. This is a silent killer. He may back off and hide in the shadows of your heart for a little while, but he's coming back. And he's gonna put his crosshairs right on your life. Because Satan loves sin and death and destruction and unfaithfulness and lies. He loves those things. There's only one way to beat it it's through Jesus Christ and the Word of God and truth that gets a hold of our lives. And it may be costly may be costly you may have to confess some things that you're going to need to help to work through those things but brothers and sisters if we don't deal with this you you don't experience the joy god has for you the joy that god has for you as a christian to walk in love and pursue him and pursue right relationships and be an example and let your life shine in a dark world all that goes away somebody else gets to do that because we won't deal with the dark recesses of our hearts I know this is steep, and it's a little thick in here today, but these are the Ten Commandments. You want to go look at the character of God? Guess what's going to happen? It's a mirror, and you're going to go, "Ugh, oh, I need some changes, God. So we, so what we've done these last six sessions is we look deeply into the character of God, and we've seen ourselves. And so now we've got to say, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, if we were just Christians who gathered as a social gathering and the Bible's really never taught or maybe a verse is read out of context or um, some good deed was done or something, Lord, we, we would just go on in our sin. But that's not the way the Bible works, Lord. And You told us to teach the full counsel of God's word, so we believe that we should work verse by verse through it, Lord. And as we do that, we come to things that unveil, and reveal darkness in our life. Lord, and we, we don't like it sometimes. Lord, I know it's, it's convicting. I struggled with things all week long as I've studied this passage. Areas that you expose in my life that you want done with, you want out. You don't want that part of us. Lord, that hurts a little bit to show that we've been unfaithful in areas. We've not spoke the truth. We've, we've actually deceived somebody or Or we're even just deceiving ourselves. We've not been content with what you've given us. We're looking over the fence at something that doesn't belong to us, from a person to to an inanimate object. We find ourselves not very joyful. We really find ourselves being hypocrites. We'll come to church and talk about the gospel and listen to a great BFG and have good interaction and then walk away and never deal with that, Lord. And we just get colder and colder and more distant. And life just has more and more problems. But God, that's not what you have for us. You want us to be men and women, boys and girls, that love each other, that love our God and we're able to love one another and speak truth and love to one another. To be able to sit down and say, these are my issues. I I know God has revealed them through his word. Lord, help me. Lord, you are, you're a God who helps his children. You don't want us to stay in darkness and sin and all the ugly stuff we get ourselves into. You've provided a way out of that. You've provided an escape from our sin, Lord. And it's through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord. And that, that work continues on in our life. So Lord, may we avail ourselves to that. May we put our knee on the ground tonight. And may we confess sin covetousness something that we're desiring that you didn't give us and lord may that confession lead to true repentance godly sorrow leads to godly repentance and may repentance lead to fruit and change of direction lord and may the joy of our salvation return for that's what we want lord we pray this all in jesus name amen